alcohol is a key part of today's society. Whether it's a night out in a bar, a club, or simply going for a casual drink, it's inescapable. If you have an alcohol addiction, or you are trying to recover from alcoholism, that can make things both daunting and incredibly challenging. If you want to have a night out, without the pressure of booze being around you, the options are quite limited. But in December 2018, Chelmsford became home to Essex's only non-alcoholic bar, Abstinence. The woman behind that venture is Wendy Sillett. The inspiration behind Abstinence lies with Wendy's own battle with drink, a battle that reached its tipping point and very nearly brought her to her knees. Throughout the alcoholism, there were struggles with mental health and it also had a damaging relationship with people all around her. But a run-in with the police was the wake-up call that she desperately needed. Here we are today, and Wendy is four years sober and has opened the bar to serve as a social space for people who want to go out without the pressures that alcohol brings. Whether it's people who are in recovery themselves, people who don't drink for religious reasons, it can be literally anything, abstinence has proved to be a very important location in the city. But opening a new business doesn't always go smoothly. Wendy is finding that out now, as mounting financial costs are proving to be a threat to the bar's future. Brought to you by Essex Live, this is Humans of Chelmsford. And this is Wendy Sillett's story. We have already heard on episode one of this series about how damaging addiction can be. Wendy is no different, as the problem soon affected every part of her life. At the heart of it was a hugely challenging mental battle, and alcohol essentially tossed her around from side to side. My alcohol, well, my um, relationship with alcohol became toxic. Um, it affected every part of my life in terms of what I was able to to do um, or mostly not do in fact um, at the end of my drinking um, I wasn't really leaving the house um, I wasn't able to be there for my daughter um, I lost a number of, of, of friends my family have always stuck with me um, but it is an illness that's very misunderstood um, and in terms of if you don't suffer with it, it's hard to understand why you cannot just not pick up the first drink. But ultimately, it is an, an illness of the mind. Um, and regardless of, of whatever intentions I had for that day, a drink would always win out. Um, and once I'd had a drink, I couldn't stop. Um, but my, um, I don't have a relationship with alcohol at all. These days, I don't drink. I came into recovery um, four years ago, over four years ago, and I haven't had a drink since. Um, yeah, hence why we're here. <laughs> exactly. Um, sort of a common theme when I've spoken to other people who may have addiction problems with alcohol or maybe even mental health problems as well. And sometimes there's a, there's a trigger behind it and there's always something where it just flips and it instantly becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Was that the case for you? No, not at all. Um, I haven't always had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I did go out in, in my 
sort of late teens, early 20s. And that was fun. And I can't say that I've never had fun with alcohol. I have. Uh, it became a problem in my 30s um, due to some, some life events. And, you know, I was able to, to drink more and more. Um, but then I sort of crossed that line where I wasn't, you know, things started to happen that were out of my control, um, whether it be sort of blackouts or... Um, you know, not remembering what had happened the night before. I would do anything to be able to drink safely, made sure I, I ate before I went out, didn't drink after a certain time, the various different things, because I just couldn't understand why the next day I had no memory or I'd done things that I would never have done if I hadn't have consumed alcohol. Um, but ultimately, once I'd had the first drink, I was unable to, to stop, and it's a progressive illness. Um, and things just became worse and worse every time I drank. And over a period of years, um, the consequences of my drinking became larger and larger, affecting hugely my family life. Um, and, yeah, some things that, you know, I certainly wouldn't have done if I hadn't, you know, have had an issue with alcohol and nothing that I'm proud of. But ultimately, I can't change my past. Um, I admitted that I had a problem. I've come into recovery. Um, and I haven't looked back since. You know, there is, I can do anything I want today apart from have a drink. Alcoholism is misunderstood. It's nowhere near as easy as it seems to be to stop and to simply put away the drink. Like many mental health problems, we're only really just starting to gauge how serious the issues are across the country. But there's still a long way to go before people fully understand. It is a mental illness. It's once you take that first drink, you know, an obsession is on you to continue. And, you know, I used to sit there some days saying, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. And just, you know, having conversations in my head with myself, which probably sounds ridiculous. Um, but anything to not pick up that drink. And then, you know, by the time I pass, a few hours had passed, you know, I could not fight off that obsession to have a drink anymore. Um, I did take a drink. And then ultimately, like I said earlier, anything that I had intended to do or committed to do, um, I wasn't able to turn up. I wasn't present. Um, unreliable, untrustworthy. I became deceitful in terms of lying about my drinking um, because I thought people didn't know. I thought I would be able to mask it and people not realise. But ultimately, you know, everybody else knew I had a problem before I did. And it took a number of... I would say years to come to that conclusion that um, you know it was always somebody else's fault or if this hadn't happened I wouldn't need to drink but the reality is I would drink whether I was happy sad you know good news bad news um, anything to justify picking up picking up a drink um, because for a time that allowed me to to forget or you know um, mask over certain things that that had affected me um, but when I came into recovery you know I had to get honest about those things and realize and, and come to terms with what my triggers were why they were and seek help um, getting through those things and then ultimately re learn to remain sober I mean I do use fellowships um, to help me do that um, I have used counseling in the past as well um, but today you know I I can get up, I can go about my day, I haven't, I do not have an obsession to drink alcohol at all, but I'm not anti-alcohol, you know, if people can drink safely, that's great, you know, but for me that wasn't the case, 
Um, there is no line you cross. It's like an invisible line, and unfortunately, it's got you um, before you realise it. And the only way that I have found um, to remain sober is to um, continue with, with fellowship. Um, but what I found particularly difficult when I came into recovery was socialising. Um, at the end of my drinking, I became very isolated, obviously, because you've you've upset friends and they, they drop off. Then um, it's difficult to, you know, you, I felt I needed company, but I didn't have any friends left, really, to go out with. Um, and the thought of going out with only faced with places that sold alcohol or coffee shops, which is absolutely fine, but they close early evening or sort of don't stay open particularly late but I still wanted to be able to to go out have a dance have fun meet up with friends um but I struggled with that and that you know left me isolated for a while um and recovery has helped me do that it's put me in touch with not everybody that I'm friends with is in recovery but there are sort of other avenues that that people have you know traveled that has led um, them to make the choice not to drink um, so I have a huge circle of friends that I go out socially with um, in recovery and out of recovery um, and when we go out I feel quite safe to go into a licensed place um, the temptation to drink has been removed for a long time for me um, but I know how difficult that struggle was and that's why really I wanted to create abstinence and have a safe social place for people to come who choose not to drink for whatever reason. One of the things that you pick up when you're having to deal with mental illness is that you become a very, very good liar and an expert in hiding your true feelings. That's incredibly damaging. What's more, it can also trick your own mind into thinking there isn't a problem at all. And that just makes the problem a million times worse. Denial is massive in this um, illness. Um... You can, have, you can have low self-esteem massively um, and the guilt that I did have over things that I did and the way that I treated people was, was huge and for a long time that kept me drinking um, because I couldn't deal with that guilt. Um, today, of course, I still have regrets over you know, some of the things that I did um, and the way that I behaved that, you know, quite cringeworthy at times. Um, but ultimately, I realise I can't take those things back. The only way I can make amends to people um, that remained in my life and new people that have come into my life is that, you know, today I don't drink. I'm trustworthy. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I turn up. Um, but I believe this is the only illness that will tell you that you haven't got it. Um, so, you know, I would think, you know, that's okay. It's okay to drink today. Um, yeah, and you mentioned um, guilt. I mean, I was constantly trying to create a mask in front of other people that I was okay outwardly. I didn't want people to see that um, I was failing, and that, that's how I felt it was. I felt like I would be the only mum that had a problem with drink, um, and didn't didn't have the courage to seek help elsewhere for some time because, you know, I just I didn't realise so many people suffered um, as a result of addiction to, to drink or drugs. Um, and once I came into recovery and realised I wasn't alone, that allowed me to get honest, I think. Um, and realising that it is an illness as well um, was something that 
I really struggled with previously because it was, well, why can't I do this? You know, I go to work, I have the best of intentions, I'm honest. And I was in terms of, you know, the love that I had for my daughter and, you know, my family and friends around me. However, um, you know, I was deceitful in terms of, of trying to hide everything. Um, whether that was drink, whether that was the way I felt, whether that was knowing that I'd done something wrong and trying to cover it up so that people wouldn't find out. Um, But guilt or carrying the guilt these days isn't going to do me any favours, you know. I I have a choice every time I wake up, you know. It's even, you know, life isn't easy, just, you know, the same as it is for everybody. You know, we've all got our life struggles, whether that's financial, whether it's relationships, whether it's jobs, um, many different things. Um, But I can have a choice whether to get up, keep going, see the positive in everything, which I do try to do, which, you know, it can be hard sometimes. Um... But I know today that the life that I have um, is so much better than the one that I was that I was in at the end of my drinking. You know, I don't know whether I would still be here if I hadn't come into recovery. And, you know, that is the honest truth. It destroys lives. It destroys families. Um, but it can also be, uh, you know, a family recovery as well. I've been privileged enough to see enough people that have come into to recovery that I'm around that you know I've seen them get their life back on track make friends get back to work um be reunited with family members which is an absolute pleasure to see and, pe- and see people's life you know their eyes light up um because something that I've I've witnessed in the past including my own it's it's it, the person is there in front of you, but their eyes are dead. Their soul is dead. They don't know which way to turn. And for a lot of people, that can be suicide. It can be um, institutions. Or if, you know, the, the drinking has, has led to a life of crime, then obviously prisons is, is something um, or a route that can be travelled as well. You know, there's nothing more than I want to see people get well. So how do you break out of the cycle? In essence, you need a huge wake-up call to jolt you into action. That could take any form, but it's unlikely to be a pleasant one. For Wendy, it was a run-in with the police, after she was arrested for being drunk in charge of a vehicle. She wasn't actually driving, she'd left her car in the Tesco car park and had walked back to it to get cigarettes, but staff ended up reporting her to the police. What was the the turning moment if you like the turning point where you've suddenly realized i've got to change the way i'm going about things and really tackle this problem head on with my drinking um an arrest actually (laughs) Uh, which is not something i'm proud of at all and i laugh and it's it's not funny but But it's it's obviously the wake-up call yeah it was the wake-up call and for many you know there's people that have done far far worse and there's people that haven't done some of the things that I've done but we all reach that turning point I think where we can't go on we can't can't live with alcohol and we can't live without it but it's then about um sort of putting every effort into finding a way to stop drinking and then you know for me it wasn't putting down the drink that was difficult it was then dealing with the emotions that were left um, without trying to mask them with alcohol. Um, but st- drinks stopped working in the end, and it didn't do that anyway. All it led to was 
an awful lot of sleepless nights um, where your mind is just ticking over. You know, you'd pick up a drink, you would do something. I would then feel guilty about it. Then that would be plenty. It was like mental mental torture. It really was. Um, you know, and I don't have those things today. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got arrested, it was you know how how much lower am I going to go? You know, I need to seek help, which I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been about trying to tackle life head on ever since you know I've been back to work for a few years now um and then that has enabled me to well for a couple of years be be planning the bar um which we've now done um and hopefully we will find a way to to keep it open Of course, it's one thing suddenly realising things have got to change. Actually taking the steps to change is a totally separate thing and is a difficult pathway to take. But Wendy has managed it. How is the recovery side of things? Is it a tough thing when you've got, you know, that, that inner monologue you were talking about before constantly mm. sort of on the go? Um, it is. I have a busy mind a lot of the time, um, but it's been able to um, rationalise things, realise when my thinking is a bit wonky, so to speak, um, and sort of really try and sit down and, and, and analyse my train of thought. You know, I know when I'm when my thinking's not right I just do and I can't even really explain that it's just um, there are certain tools that I've led through recovery um, and obviously people that I've met along the way um, that just talking to somebody and sharing with somebody who understands how my head can be um, you know is it problem shared problem halved that type of thing and it does it alleviates that pressure or just for somebody from from an outside looking in who's detached from it emotionally to be able to get me to see something in a different way um, is often quite helpful four years on from that massive wake-up call life has completely changed for wendy she's completely sober and abstinence bar has become a main priority giving people a place to go in chelmsford without the pressure of alcohol. Yeah, my own experience with that is what led me to think about it, but I've always done um, hospitality all through my working life, so it's something that's second nature to me anyway, and I've always enjoyed it. I love being around people, um, and so it was a way that I could you know, use the skills that I've, I've used in employment and, and inject them into this. Um, so it was a problem, well about two and a half years ago really um that I started planning and thinking about it and to be honest I never ever thought it would be something that would would come off um however we've got this far um and hopefully as I said earlier it's something that we can continue um you know it is needed it does meet a need um I realize it's a niche market um so it was always going to be a challenge from a business sense um but when you're in here whether you've got 90 people in here for Brandon Block we had in a few weeks ago or comedy we're always um, a sellout on that we've got 75 people absolutely belly laughing completely sober it's just something that a lot of people probably a wouldn't even consider doing um, if you don't have any issues around you know drink but 
to experience it sober, even the comedians were, I think, you know, a little bit unsure of what to expect because, you know, they might have thought we, we could have been a challenging audience, but it wasn't. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, and we have loads of different events here, whether it's jazz, we have Jazz Cafe, um, we have Salsa, we have LGBT, we've had an autism cafe recently. Um, and we're trying to work closely with um, local charities under the same sort of umbrella, whether it be drink and drugs or mental health, um, just to, you know, hopefully make the safe space available to, to people who need it. Yeah. Considering how long it was, you know, in the, in the pipeline, how long you were working for it, how rewarding is that feeling when those doors first open? Back in December now it was. Actually, I was really scared. <laughs> that was the point. I thought, I wish I hadn't done this, I'll be honest. Um, but that's just fear. You know, um, fear of the unknown, fear, can I make this work? You know, on a, there's kind of two sides to this business. On, on one side, it works very well. The, the events work, you know, really well. They're hugely successful and well attended. Um, so you can see from the turnout on those nights that people are utilising it and people are using it for the reasons that it was set up. Um, but the difficulty here has been the daytime trade um, versus the overheads. Um, you know, ultimately, I always call it a wee thing because it very much is. There's so many people that have given their time, support, email, you know, whatever I've needed, there's been people by my side all the way. And I need to be clear about that. Um, because people support the concept. Um, you know, people have given their time freely. Um, and nothing's more precious than time. You know, I will never, ever be able to give people's time back. Um, but I think we've done very well to get as far as we have. Um, but as I say, it's just that daytime, that daytime trade, which is, is slow at the moment. But, you know, ultimately, it is a wee thing, but financially it is on my head. And I, I just, unfortunately, haven't got large enough pockets. <laughs> yeah. That's the challenge, the money side of things. Anyone establishing a business knows that it's going to take time. And ultimately, you're relying on word of mouth to spread the news that you're there. Earlier in the year, Wendy had to put out a plea for a Just Giving fundraising page to help keep the bar open. Otherwise, the bar could well have had to close its doors at the end of this month. We are looking at other avenues. Um, An example of that, we're we're hoping... um, that somebody will rent the daytime space, um, which will hugely um, alleviate some of the pressure financially. Um, So that's something that there's some things that I can't say at the moment because they haven't come off. Ultimately, um, um, we're hoping that whilst those talks and communications are in place that that we can raise enough money from the fundraiser um, and some other private events that we have going on this week and we've got the Sausage Shop Cafe on Easter, Sunday and Monday that they will generate um, enough funds to sort of keep us going um, while we hopefully can put in a place a longer term solution um, to keeping us open. But it's never been about greed it's just something that I'm passionate about that I feel needs to be here. Um, as I said to you earlier, I've gone back to work myself. Um, just so that hopefully that will help ease sort of cash flow a little bit. Um, because we just really, it is so important to keep this going. It really is. And for those who use it, you know, they do understand that it, whilst it's difficult, you know, it's, um, it is something that's needed and hopefully we will get you know, a lot of support this evening for our fundraiser. 
When people hear the term non-alcohol bar, they might make the mistake of thinking it is a place solely for people in recovery, but that's not the case. Bit by bit, the people who use it come from all walks of life, and if it goes, suddenly that option of a venue without the alcohol pressure goes with it. Yes, my personal experience is recovery, and, and that's where the idea has, has been created from, and my struggles. But certainly, it's not a recovery-based business. It is open to anyone, and we'd like to include anyone. Um, we do have um, customers of all um, ages and interests, which is why we run such a varied calendar of events. Anyway, to appeal to the widest, widest range of people. Um, but whether that's um, sort of jazz cafe on a Sunday evening um, last night in fact most of the people that came um, hadn't even been in before which was lovely it was lovely to see um, lots of new faces but I think today it's it's yes obviously my own experience is recovery and it's really important that's, that's not what it's all about it's just that's just for me um, but you know a lot of people do choose not to drink today I mean I know we've seen um, reports and statistics that suggest 16 to 25 year olds are moving away from alcohol which is fantastic you know we have we do have a younger crowd that comes here and it's great to be able to educate if you like and show that you can still come out and have a dance or enjoy comedy or whatever the, the particular event is that you can come out you can be yourself that people are confident enough within themselves to get up on the dance floor and do that sober and not worry about what people are thinking or not be pressured and I think that's the other thing when you sort of tend to go out into licensed premises that you know go on you'll be right go on you have one or you know and and being here absolutely takes that pressure away because there's no alcohol to be to be sold um yeah i think there's many different reasons why people choose to um stay away from alcohol um today or certainly sort of cut back their intake of because you know it is reported you know obviously health issues i think people who i think as a as a culture you know we've become more um, health conscious about what we put into our bodies and I know certainly with um, sort of gyms and the programs that they run even if it's for a three-month period that you might find somebody who's not drinking for that period but still doesn't you know want to stay in on a Friday Saturday night they'd like somewhere to go but they can come and do that without the temptation of having one where ordinarily if they go into a licensed premises maybe they they would give in to temptation on that occasion um but certainly you know whether it's it's religion health age uh, mental health there's many different reasons why people choose not to drink today um and this space does give people an alternative choice and I think that's what's important you know when you look around the town there is so many licensed premises but where do you go if you don't want to drink? Mental health continues to be something that plenty of people up and down the country and across the globe struggle with. Wendy is someone who has managed to come out of the other side. So what advice would she give for anyone who may be struggling themselves? 
That is a tough one because, to be honest, with the illness that I suffer with, as I said earlier, it will tell me I haven't got it. It will tell me it's okay. Um, and it will be different this time when I pick up a drink. Um, but ultimately, it never, it never was, and it got worse. I think if people are at a turning point where um, alcohol or drugs is becoming, you know, it, it's, it's causing consequences in other areas of your life, then maybe, you know, you're not an alcoholic. Maybe you're just a heavy drinker, and there is a difference. However, you know, it's... Um, you know, I've seen people die of this. Um, you know, it is serious and I can only urge people to at least try um, and investigate avenues of giving up drinking, whatever. I mean, that that's, you know, I use fellowship. That's not for everybody. There's many other different ways that people can, can stop drinking. Many can do it by themselves. For me, that wasn't the case. Um, and it's it's really not for me to, to say to people how, how to do that. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it is being honest with yourself. Um, you know, I think there's posters, you know, if, if alcohol is costing you more than money, um, which it was for me, um, then that was definitely a point that I needed to, to look at the harm that I was causing, not only myself, but, but other people around me. Yeah. Um, and linking back to the bar, of course, mm-hmm. shows how important it is to have people around you and with you supporting yeah, absolutely. you absolutely absolutely i can't do this alone um you know and i i as i say i've been around four years now and that and that has led to some some very very special friendships um but it also allows me to you know i have confidence in myself today to to, to feel that i have something to offer um, which is something that I, I never, ever felt. So whether it's, you know, somebody calling me, you know, sometimes it always takes me by surprise if somebody rings and asks me for help, you know, because that is certainly something that not ha- didn't happen in my past because I couldn't be trusted to, to turn up on time. Um, but today, as I say, I can make commitments and I, I can try and be there for others as they have been for me along my journey. Yeah, exactly. And with that, I'll bring this episode to a close. Um, and thank you once again, Wendy, for coming on and thank obviously you. talking us through your story and I'm sure I'm not the only one in thinking that it's a huge path that you've been on and a really impressive transformation that you've been through as well over the last few years um, and opening up this place as well to help out others who may be in the same situation or for people who just want that alternative night out basically so wish you all the best in with the, with the bar and also with anything that's, that's left to come Lovely A huge thank you to Wendy for taking the time out to talk with us on the latest episode of Humans of Chelmsford. You can find links to Abstinence Bar in the show notes. And if you've been affected by any of the issues raised, then there are plenty of places to turn to. Again, we have listed them in the show notes. Make sure you follow us on social media. Humans of Chelmsford is on Facebook and our Twitter page handle is at Chelmsford underscore pod this is episode three of series two of the podcast which means we have two more episodes to bring you before this current series draws to a close our previous episodes are also all available on acast apple podcasts spotify the essex live website or wherever you get your audio on demand tune in next sunday to hear our latest guest from this city.